me ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. I'm going to read a couple of verses there and refer to those later, and then also over in Matthew 23. While I read this to you, I want you to, at this moment, uh, bring to your mind someone that you know that needs Christ. Someone who, to your knowledge, has never committed their life to the Lord Jesus. It may be a spouse, maybe a child or a parent, classmate, a co-worker, or it may be yourself. And you are just honest enough, not necessarily to say it out loud, but to at least realize that you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ. With that person or yourself in mind, I want you to hear these words and the message that is to follow. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. In Romans 9... It says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And then in Matthew 23, we read in verse 37, and this is Jesus. Oh, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, You'll not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us to hear the the passion in these words? The words of Jesus, the words of the Apostle Paul, under your inspiration. And then, Lord, will you help us to know what that means to us today? 
Lord, we look to you for this. We need to hear from you in these moments. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing in our series on the making of a disciple. We began two weeks ago with the very basis of being a disciple, and that being a relationship with God through Jesus Christ alone, trusting in Him alone for our eternal life. That is an absolute necessity if one is to be a disciple. You can't do all the other things and not have that and consider yourself a disciple of Jesus. But that's only the beginning. That's the absolute necessity in order to get to heaven. And yet, there is much more in this life to follow. What we looked at last week was uh, that a disciple has a growing assurance of that faith being real in their life and sees the application of it in various areas of their life as they know more and more for certain that they are in Christ. And those, those difficulties and those, those doubts are all put into perspective because of that relationship with Christ. Now today, I want us to... Uh, uh, look at the next step. And by the way, other than the first one, uh, these are not necessarily in descending order. I don't want you to think for a moment that uh, the farther away from uh, making a commitment to Christ that we get in this series, the less important these are. I tried to put them in some kind of a logical order as I'm doing a series this fall, uh, but it certainly is not in descending order in terms of uh, importance. But we need to understand that a disciple loves the good news of the gospel. Now, that's what we've been talking about the last uh, couple of weeks, the good news of the gospel. A disciple loves the good news of the gospel and knows it is his only hope. Let me read to you from the Apostle Paul again. From Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, verse 16. And this is one of those verses. If you don't have it underlined, you need to underline it. Romans 1, 16. Paul says at the beginning of that great treatise of doctrine, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God for salvation. Now here is one who had been lost. And he knew how lost he had been. And that's something that I'm afraid too often We forget. Now, you know, any who are in Christ would say, oh yeah, I needed Christ and and so on. But it's far too easy for us to lose our, our amazement 
with just what the gospel really is. How hopeless it was for us until the gospel. What good, great news the gospel really is. Because some of us have heard it over and over again. Some of you have heard it every Sunday from the time you were a little child. And like anything else that we become more and more familiar with, if we're not careful and if we're not often reminded, we will begin to take it for granted. You know who appreciates the gospel? Well, there's several kind of people that uh, really appreciate the gospel. Those who come to Christ later in life, I've noticed, really appreciate the gospel because they know what life was like without Christ. And then also those who have been deprived of the gospel, either because they, they weren't in a church at all, or they were in a church where the gospel really wasn't preached. And when they come to a place where the gospel is preached, it is such music to them every single week. I thought we could be that way. And then the other group of those who appreciate it are those who've recently come to it. Sometimes, let's face it, obnoxiously so, isn't it? (laughs) Someone comes to Christ, and that's all they can talk about. And yet, is that different than the rest of us should be? But we fall into the rut too often of knowing everything about the gospel, of believing it, really believing it, but only at moments, really appreciating it. Let me tell you about uh, two people in our sister church over in Belgrade. Both of them, uh, when I've been around them, have reminded me of, of appreciation of the gospel. One of them, his name's Vitalik. Now, he... Uh, his role in the church over there is uh, uh, he is in charge of overseeing uh, the remodeling of the building where they now worship. It was just a shell, and he, uh, any teams that come in, uh, he helps them to work on the building and, and so on. He can't speak any English, uh, but somehow uh, he's in charge. There's no question about that. Uh, He's in charge, and uh, people do what he says to do. Now, one of the reasons is because he is a gruff-looking character. He was a Soviet soldier in Afghanistan. And he is, to me, exactly what I would picture a Soviet soldier to look like. And you could tell this is a man who has seen a lot in his life just to look at him. 
But underneath that outward, gruff appearance is a heart that's been touched by the gospel. In fact, I remember when I first heard his testimony, others in the church had given their testimony and it it came to Vitalik. And he, he doesn't talk all that much. Of course, he probably does to those in his own language. But here's how he started his testimony. He said, I won't tell you about what the first 50 years of my life were like without Christ. I almost burst into tears just hearing that. Because that said it all to me. Here was a man who had probably seen carnage that most of us have never dreamed of. No telling what other things had gone on in his life even before going to war. But he didn't want to talk about that. He wanted to talk about what the gospel was to him. Then there was another uh, little lady, and I don't, I don't even know her name, but I remember last year when our choir was there, and we were dedicating this new building in Ukraine. And she was sitting up in the front every time there was a service that weekend. She had a scarf on. This is one that over there they call a babushka, a grandmother. Whether they're a grandmother or not, that's what they call them. And any time the Word of God was read, any time there was preaching of the Word, and when our choir would sing, when Sharon would play, she was in ecstasy. And she just went like this. You know, I wanted to watch our choir, but I couldn't take my eyes off of her reaction to it. I could just see. Now, here was a woman by her age that I have no doubt she had lived under communism most of her life. And in all likelihood, when she went to church before, under that rule, didn't know whether her name would be written down and something might just happen to her like happened to other people. These two reminded me of the glory of the gospel. And it took those two who uh, had been deprived of it in order to remind me how precious it is for all of us and how for granted we often take it. Our only hope for this life and the next is the message of the gospel. Now, the second aspect of loving the gospel and knowing that it is our only hope 
is an application to that. If we really believe it, if we really believe that it is our only hope, then what does that mean to us in our life? Well, first, uh, as I put here in the outline, disciple knows that those without Jesus will spend eternity in hell and is burdened to action by that. The fact that the gospel is our only hope for heaven means we've got to acknowledge the awful reality of hell. That may be the most unpopular subject that I could possibly talk to you about. It's a subject that you typically will not hear from the TV preachers. You won't read it in My Best Life, Our Best Life Now, and things that are so popular. You just won't. And of course, not grasping the reality of hell diminishes the work of Jesus, how essential it was for us. But it's not just the TV preachers that don't talk about it, too many churches. Because in our day, people don't want to hear it, and that's not new. And I I do understand that. And especially for churches that don't believe the gospel, why would you talk about hell if you don't have the answer for it? I wouldn't. And yet, we do have to face up to it because the Bible teaches clearly the reality of it. Let me go a step farther. told you the Bible teaches it. You know where we get the doctrine of hell? Well, you say the Bible, yes. But if you look in the Bible, you see it foreshadowed and alluded to in the Old Testament. But the doctrine of hell we get from none other than Jesus. That's where we get it. He talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. People don't want to hear that. Not my Jesus. Well, if we are to believe what the Bible teaches us, then it's true. When we went through the Gospel of Mark, we had several passages where hell was spoken of, and and we went into more depth at that point. And so I don't plan to do that today, and yet... I want to just remind you of one of those passages that talks about the devastating reality of hell. In Mark chapter 9, Mark 9, there are many passages. This one is as vivid as any. In Mark 9, verse 42, it says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, It would be better, better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, 
And let's think about that for just a second. I think we'd all agree that would be a horrible death. Have a millstone hung around your neck, dropped into the sea. What an awful thing to think about. Why would those words even be there? Well, because there's something a whole lot worse. You see, as as bad as that is and as awful as that is to think about, there's something that is a whole lot worse than that terrible death. And he's about to describe it. Verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. All these, he's saying, are are worse than that death. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And then he says, verse 48, where the worm does not die and fire is not quenched. Jesus made it clear that the fire there and the suffering there is different than the fire and the suffering here on this earth. The fires out in California are terrible. They are destructive. But they are and they will die down. There will come an end to them. The fires of hell are un. There is nothing that will stop them. His main point, and and I, I don't believe for a moment there was any joy in Jesus saying these things. I suspect there was pain in his heart to have to say this, and yet there was love in his heart to tell the truth. His main point is the pains of hell last forever. Notice at every point, Jesus speaks of the positive and the negative, to enter into life, to enter into the kingdom, and then He talks about hell. He shows the two sides again and again, and that's where His love is shown. And that leads us to the application. If we really believe this, what will we do? What must we do? If we, if we really believe this, first we're saying, the gospel is my only hope, and I take joy in that. Hell is devastatingly real. So what? So what will I do with those two things. We ought to be burdened to action. 
Listen to the passion of the Apostle Paul. I read this to you earlier. Uh, We see a passionate heart for the lost. Romans 9. Starting with verse 2. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to to the flesh. He's talking about the people of Israel and this has always to me been incredible. That here is one who was so lost and he is so found and he is so content in Christ and so looking forward to being with Christ that for him to live is Christ but to die is gain and yet he says... I'd give it up for for all of these, my brothers, who don't know Him, and they are accursed. Have you ever felt that for the unsaved? Even those unsaved in your own family? Ever? C.T. Studd was a a great athlete uh, over in England. He was known as a hero over in that country for his athletic prowess. But at one point in his life, he became sold out for Christ. God used many things. But one of the things that he used was an article... And uh, Stud read this article. It had been written not by a Christian, but by an atheist. Here is what the atheist said. If I firmly believed, as millions say they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences destiny in another, then religion would mean everything to me. I would cast away earthly enjoyments as dross, earthly cares as follies, and earthly thought and feelings as vanity. Religion would be my first waking thought and my last image before sleep sank me into unconsciousness. I should labor in its cause alone. I would take thought for the morrow of eternity alone. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Remember, this is an atheist speaking. He said, if I believe what you say you believe. Earthly consequences would never stay my hand or seal my lips. Earth, its joys and its grief would occupy no moment of my thought. I would strive to look upon eternity alone and on immortal souls around me, soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. I'd go forth to the world and preach to it in season and out of season, and my text would be, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The atheist didn't believe that, but he got it. Saying if, you know, if I believed that, this is what I would do. 
in C.T. Studd was profoundly affected. He gave the rest of his life to sacrificial service of Christ. He went on to write, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. So what's the source of that heart? I had to answer that question because I listened to what the Apostle Paul said and in my heart of hearts I say, you know, I don't think I could say that for the lost. I don't think I do care about them as much as he did. So where do you get a heart like that? Maybe you wish you had a heart for the lost, but you just don't seem to. What's your response when you see people who are criminal? Or when you see people who are living a repulsive, immoral lifestyle? Or what's your response when you see someone who is anti-Christ? Well, all of those people lived in Jerusalem. Listen to Jesus' response to people like that. I read it to you earlier in Matthew 23. He said, oh. That's why I read it that way, because it's a big sigh. It's a groan. Oh. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. You see, here's the point. The exact same place, the same source as we learn about hell is the place where we go to for compassion. And that's to the heart of Jesus himself. If we're Christ followers, Christ dwells inside of us. And so we have the same capacity for loving the lost, as Jesus does. And so, when we see that criminal or that one with the repulsive, immoral lifestyle, or we see someone who is anti-Christ, the disciple must more and more tap into the power of Christ in us and have His response towards them. And instead of saying how repulsive they are, I hope they get theirs, we should say, oh, they really need Jesus. 
Oh, they need the Lord. Seeing the way our world is going shouldn't make us hateful, but should break our heart, fill us with compassion, knowing that without Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. I read this week about an incident that took place south of London on a highway back in 1984. There was a dense fog that was uh, shrouding the highway. There were warning lights, but most drivers ignored them. They often saw the warning lights. But at 6.15 a.m., a large truck that had huge rolls of paper on it, very heavy, crashed. And then one after another, within moments, other cars crashed in. Soon the highway was just engulfed in flames with more and more cars hurtling towards that. Ten people were killed. Police patrol car that was uh, the closest one got there as quickly as they could. They stationed themselves and they waved their arms and they shouted as car after car went by them and they just braced themselves waiting for the sound, the awful sound of the cars, more cars crashing. They picked up uh, orange cones and they threw them at the windows of the cars trying to get them to stop. One of those policemen told about how very quickly tears were streaming down his face as car after car went by and ended up in the pile of other destroyed cars. As I read that, I wondered how our concern for the lost rushing towards eternity in danger of hell compared to that policeman, his desire to warn them. May God today stir our hearts so that as we appreciate the gospel and know it's our only hope, we are then moved to understand the reality of hell and then burdened to action for those who need to know Jesus. Let's bow together.